You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me is ITK analyst David Leach. How are you, David? Giles, I'm very well and it's a great time to be in the electricity industry in reporting season and on top of that, uh, we've got a very interesting interview this week. Yes, look, it's the first of several significant interviews with industry leaders we have, and this is with Gordon Weimer, the Chief Finance Officer of Snowy Hydro. And of course, Snowy is um, in the news, of course, for many reasons. Um, It's now government-owned, thanks to the transaction that the federal government did to buy it out from the New South Wales and Victorian governments. And of course, it's been under a lot of scrutiny, including from this website, about its proposed Snowy 2.0 pumped hydro scheme. David, um, you caught up with um, Gordon, um, went into his office the other day. I I did indeed, and I I should note that he was the CFO and now he's the Chief uh, Commercial Officer. Um, and I think he had a lot to do with the business case for Snowy and certainly a lot to do with seeing that project through. Uh, I, I enjoyed this interview. Um, there was a lot, a lot of discussion. I, I probably let some of Gordon's uh, comments through to the keeper about like uh, demand response. Uh, uh, but there's a, a lot of interesting stuff in there. And uh, without more ado, why don't we go there? OK, let's do that right, right now. Gordon uh, Weimer, who's the Chief Commercial Officer, I stand corrected, for Snowy Hydro. Gordon, it's a pleasure to be talking to you today. You're the Chief Commercial Officer of Snowy and you've been here since 2003. Uh, is, uh, how's, how's Snowy changed uh, very briefly in that, in, in that time? What was it like when you first joined? G'day David, well uh, thanks for coming in and uh, it's changed immeasurably since I started here. We've, we've gone from being uh, a generator that sold some insurance products to being uh, the market risk manager and being what we think is the fourth pillar of the industry in terms of having over a million retail customers. You've uh, talked about being the fourth pillar and that increasingly looks the case. You mentioned the retail base, which consists of Red Energy and Lumo. Uh, The government's introduced some pricing reforms and changes recently. Um, AGL and Energy Australia, sorry, Origin and Energy Australia have said that's a negative for their profits, but they've got default con. What does it mean for Snowy, those pricing changes? Um, we see the main problem with uh, that kind of intervention as being an impact on competition. So obviously there's profit reductions for anyone involved in retail because of the way the margins have been set. The key problem is the people who really can't compete are the second and third tiers. So we don't see that as being helpful for competition, although it has done what the intent was, which is to greatly reduce the profits of the big retailers. And and does that include you? I mean, you're a big retailer by customer numbers, somewhat less so by volume. Uh, We have a different structure of customers. So we haven't been as affected because we don't have the same charging bases. We have the different way of getting customers. So every customer that we have has, by definition, churned at some point from an incumbent. So no, we haven't been as affected because we don't charge customers the same way. And if I briefly move on to your uh, conventional hydro business... Uh, what I see is that your volume in the NEM is down in fiscal 19, FY19, as compared to the previous three years, but your pool revenue seems to be holding pretty steady or even up. How, how are you thinking about the 
returns and prospects in the conventional risk re management business that Snowy offers. Yeah, what we're seeing, probably the, the number one trend is that the, the products that we've sold that insure the market. So the $300 per megawatt hour cap products where we get a premium in and we pay out when the price is over $300, that used to account for, say, a quarter of a billion of, of annual revenue for us. Uh, that product is being displaced by firming products where we take wind and solar and turn it into a firm product for, for consumers. Uh, yes, and, and so we've seen a lot of other sort of fringe products around the market in terms of, I guess, uh, other firming. I mean, let me ask you this question. Do, do you see, think there's a, a shortage of firming capacity in the market now? I can't actually see much of a new price signal uh, for a lot of new firming capacity, given where, say, say pumped hydro requirements and, and gas requirements actually are. Well, that's a very good question, David, because at the moment, uh, no, you're not, you're not seeing those price signals yet. I think what you've got to do is to look forward into the future and to see what's happening to the retirement of the coal plants and what takes their place. Because once you take out Liddell, once you take out your lawn, the big, the big coal-fired generators, what is replacing those is wind and solar. And we love wind and solar because it's cheap. It's the cheapest root source of energy. The problem is to firm it up, you need both storage and capacity. And there is going to be, in our view, a shortage of that um, within the next few years. Within the next few years. So even though there's not a price signal now, uh, you can look ahead and, and think there will be a price signal. But can you actually make, I mean, in the government, it's one thing, but in the private sector, can you, can you make an investment based on a price signal you think will be there as opposed to one that is there? So I tell you what, in 2015, we sat here and the NEM was, in our view, oversupplied. So we decided to store about 2,000 gigawatt hours, two terawatt hours of energy. Uh, that's about half our annual production. And we said, we're going to store this because we believe the NEM is oversupplied and that is going to disappear in two years. Uh, that was a very good move because that 2,000 gigawatt hours we sold over the next two years and we resolved market supply issues within those two years for the market. We see the same sort of thing happening. The market is very hard to predict over a longer term time frame. You've got to look at the fundamentals. We've spent two years doing this. You've got to look at the fundamentals of supply and demand. And yes, you've got to make a judgment. Where do we think the supply and demand balance is going? And the current, the current year, if you look at FY19, gives you a very poor signal of what's going to happen in 2025. That's right. And so we've all got to get our crystal balls out and start uh, looking at them. I guess Irving Fisher said coming events cast their shadows before, but I must say those shadows are fairly hard to uh, discern in some ways. Uh, in terms of other pumped hydro things that are going on around the market, and I'm going to come on to Snowy too, but I was interested, um, do you see the development of Cleanco in Queensland and the move of Wyvernhoe, an existing pumped uh, hydro 500 megawatt uh, facility moving into what I might call more of a merchant or profit-oriented mode um, uh, as changing the dynamics at all? Um, <clears throat> that's a tricky question, David, because you're, you're basically asking to what extent do they contract? And I think the, the owners of any plant of that type need to decide do they want revenue certainty or do they want to pursue risky upside? So what we've done with 2.0, and I can't speak for those other people, but what we've done is we've said we're going to pursue revenue certainty. So we're selling products off the back of Snow 2.0 now. Mm. So we're talking to counterparties about basically pump storage products 
years and years and years ahead of when, when that will actually be available. So I think, uh, yes, you might have opportunistic peaks you can ex- exploit, but as the owner of that plant, I think selling what is basically insurance or storage into the market is, is going to be a more stable revenue stream. Snowy's had a reputation for innovation in, in some of these areas. I mean, I guess the vanilla product that you can see in the market every day is is your $300 caps. And I think you mentioned to me once before that uh, originally Snowy was expecting to get about 40% of its annual revenue from those caps. But uh, what sort? Uh, uh, I mean, are there? I mean, Snowy's long duration storage is not. Is that basically? fit around a cap product or what other things does it go with? I mean, what sort of products are we talking about? Yeah, at the moment, uh, the the energy that we use to defend our entire capacity portfolio is less than 50 gigawatt hours per annum. So we've got 5,500 megawatts. It, it uses hardly any energy because it's only supplying the ultra peaks when we're basically trying to keep the price down. Uh, in the future, we see that capacity morphing with energy. So it will be more energy intensive. So we see the need to provide energy in the peaks as much more important in the future. And that's why those pure capacity products are not going to be as relevant. Hmm. And so would you expect to be uh, operating in the daily market? For instance, AEMO recently put out a report saying that, you know, like four to six hour storage had a place in the market, longer duration. I mean, that's okay. Duration storage had a different place in the market. And you know, if I go and speak to some people, five-minute trading with a 15-minute battery has a place in the market, and I think it will with five-minute settlement. Um, but the question, it's one thing from a system planning point of view, it's another thing when you're trying to get a return on capital, or is it? Yeah, I think there's a market for almost anything. Mm. What you've got to decide is, does that market sustain making the capital investment? Mm. And I think when you look at deep storage, so the ability to store over months or seasons or years, uh, to us, that has a uh, a very prospective return on capital, which is why we're pursuing 2.0, because we're able to to recycle the water endlessly, basically. Mm. I think if you're talking about batteries, uh, the, the the problem with batteries is the for the raw storage of energy, they're very expensive. For the for other things like intermittency, frequency control, and series services, they're great, and they're also brilliant in cars. So we're not anti-batteries at all, as long as they do these specific things. What what those uh, the people investing in them need to keep in mind is how big's the market. Well, uh, that's 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 exactly right. So, if I turn to California as, a, for, as an example and look at their planning, and I don't suppose you spend as much time looking at these things as I do in the Californian market, but but they they see and we see a lot of examples of uh, of like the basic daily balancing market, if I can put it that way. Do you expect Snowy Two to be operating? on a regular systematic basis in that daily market or, 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 or more on a sort of seasonal basis? We, we see that the value is probably not going to be in the intraday market <clears throat> because we believe that there's going to be solar droughts and wind droughts, which we define as periods of below average generation. So, for example, uh, the first quarter of a calendar year is typically low in wind and solar generation combined, mm. obviously high in solar in some periods. Mm. We, we see that as a likely period of, of net generation from Snow 2.0, and we see some of the other months as being a, a period of, of net pumping. Mm. Um, that underpins the economics. The intraday stuff, uh, anyone in the NEM could deal with. So if you've got faster gas, you've got other hydro, even coal plans ramping up and down, uh, th- that's a far more 
competitive market in the sense that there are more people able to, to participate. Yes, so if we just uh, talk a bit about Snowy 2, I guess before it can operate, it's got to be built. And do you anticipate that that will, uh, I guess, cause a lot of headlines or any issues? Is there any going to be much in the EIS for people to think about? Yeah, we're being super careful mm. with, with the EIS. So we are operating in a pristine environment. Mm. We're conscious of the fact that we don't want to cause a net disturbance to the national park. Um, we value our cooperation with the National Park, which we've done for decades and decades. And sorry, but I have to give this preamble because it's it's very important to um, the uh, the way that we treated we treat and are treated by them. So the the EIS um, is going to have um, the, the minimal possible disturbance to anything in the park, and I think it's going to be super transparent and very respectful to the to the environment in, in which we operate. That's good. And then uh, I guess the EIS has to be approved then, does it, by the various state and also federal governments? Is that how it works? Yeah, uh, yes, it is. That's right. Uh, and have you got in your mind a timeline of when you expect that approval? Um, I would hate to second-guess the people giving that approval. Sorry, that, that No, no, sounds, no, no. Well, so what we've done is we've given ourselves a fair runway between when we think we're going to get it and when we need to start signing mm. contracts for the uh, notice to proceed, which is right. when that's the that's the no stop point of, of Snow 2.0. Well, let me ask. So we're not we're not putting anyone under pressure to sign. No, they're, they're being able. Everyone has the chance to go through that process fully. Mm. I, I I get that. I guess I'm uh, uh, the. Um, at the moment, when do you expect to be issuing those notices to proceed? If you can't answer that, that's fine too. Yeah. But uh, no, no, that, that's fine. So, the, so before I answer that, the other point is the uh, exploratory works have been underway for a while yes. under their own EIS. Uh, that is progressing really well. The parks are happy. We're happy. The progress is fantastic. We've drawn a whole heap of holes in the national park to to drill into where the where the tunnels and the cavern are going to go. Um, so that process is is now quite established. So we're not doing the big EIS is not a shot in the dark. No. Um, hopefully, we will finish uh, uh, everything, so the financing, shareholder approval, uh, EIS, by the end of March next year. Um, uh, being such a huge project, that, that could run over, but that is the time that we're currently aiming towards, mm. which has always been the same. That's never changed. No, and... Uh Tell me a little bit, uh, as, as much as you'd like to, for a minute, on the financing. I mean, uh, uh, I'm guessing that it won't be that hard getting finance for this project, being government-owned and, uh, you know, capital's pretty hard to deploy in big licks. Uh, so I'm expecting there'll be a lot of banks uh, knocking on the door fairly regularly. Um, <clears throat> funny you should say that. We, we've been through a, a quite huge financing process. So we've... Uh, all four domestic banks have have been our bankers for years, and uh, they're obviously going forward in our in, in the future financing. Uh, we've we've uh, invited a, a whole bunch of additional banks in uh, purely because of the quantum of money that that we want to borrow. Mm -hmm. uh, that process is going really well. Um, we are a corpse law company with an independent board and an independent credit rating, um, but with a, with a government ownership, that has been a benefit to our credit rating. And uh, all in all, that process is going fantastically well. And, and, and the thing is, the what's what's been very pleasing is the the amount of um, capital that's being supplied, uh, not just to us, but also to the offtakers of our wind and solar tender. Mm. So it's it's to the to the renewable energy market as a whole, 
uh, that has been very pleasing to see the number of banks and the amount, the amount of capital involved. Just, just on that last point, and it's not directly, I suppose, your provenance, but there was some gossip that of the eight projects, a couple of them had actually run into difficulties, that uh, you'd beaten them down on price so hard that, 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 uh, that the equity holders uh, actually weren't all that happy about the whole thing. And, and it, I mean, do you have a, is that gossip? Do you know anything about that? Or? Oh, people always want a high equity rates of return. Um, the, the thing is, we, we offer a, an A-minus rated 25-year contract or 20-whatever contract uh, for, for any energy produced. So, so we've been very transparent about what we've bought. Um, I think the, the uh, marginal loss factors that have been reviewed for the individual uh, developments have been fine because of where they are. So they haven't been hit with some of these massive marginal loss factor decrements that others have suffered. Um, I think they're all very happy to be here. Uh, three have hit financial close. We're due for fourth, I think, this month, uh, and then they're all they're all on track. So none of those eight projects are going to uh, go away. So uh, just they were long term. They were twenty five year PPAs, were they? And can I just ask you, Gordon? I mean, I've always been of the view that long term PPAs will get you a much better price than even a ten year PPA. Um, did you find that? Uh, well, we, we, we didn't offer a shorter one yes. uh, because we, we wanted to... We've always been short energy, so we've, we've never had much luck getting a long-term uh, energy deal from any of the coal-fired players. 2017-18 mm. uh, marked the turning point where wind and solar became cheaper than coal, um, which is now a historical fact, and that trend is continuing, and that's, I think, fantastic for the industry. So we... Uh, because Snow Hydro is a 70-year asset... Or 70 to 100 year assets, no, 2.0 will be a 100 year asset. We're not looking at five or 10 years. We, we want that energy to be there for as long as possible. Uh, so we, we never contemplated the shorter terms, uh, although to answer your question directly, the feedback right up front was the longer these are, the better. Mm. So it was kind of we wanted what they wanted. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh, and then that brings me on to transmission. Uh, I get confused with all the transmission. Uh, you know, transmission is a hobby horse of mine at the moment. The fact that there's endless talking about it, but not very much actual action in terms of building it and the RIT process and having the AER doing some naval gazing on a transmission project that everyone knows is needed for six months doesn't thrill me with joy. Um, um, what you need about $2 billion worth of transmission, I think, to actually make Snowy 2 work, or well, that's the number I've heard. Uh, and you, Plus, I think AEMO's been talking about a couple of additional upgrades on the uh, Snowy to Sydney and Snowy to Melbourne lines, or, or are they the original two? I've just, could you just tell me what, what transmission you actually need? Okay, so you're right, transmission is very complicated. Uh, all, all we need is, uh, is an additional line north and an additional line south, but but that's a bit of a misnomer. Mm. What, what the NEM needs is transmission upgrades, and they needed it last year. Yeah. So last year, Victoria blacked out 300 megawatts on the 24th of January. Sorry, this year, 24th of January this year. We had 1,500 megawatts sitting there at Tumut, unable to be dispatched into the Victorian system. Gordon, so I'll just interrupt you and say I, I heard Neowins, uh, Tom from Neowins say at the Clean Energy Conference that if the uh, South Australia, New South Wales interconnect had been built uh, at the time the RIT process was started, it would have paid for itself already, but gone. Yeah, so, so our, our perspective is uh, all the transmission links that you can think of and that are currently contemplated, uh, they, they're all necessary already, never mind in five or seven or ten years' time. 
So, so what uh, what we're saying is the, the 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 area in Western Victoria, which some people have called the rhombus of regret. Yes, I had to look up what a rhombus was, but I know now. But go on, <laughs> right. because the developers sitting out there have got some of the best renewable resource in the, in Australia, and they're sitting out there, but they're stranded because they don't have transmission. If if just the Western Victorian renewable link is built, that will be a massive benefit to the whole NEM. Uh, that will help us to pump because that energy will go from Western Victoria through Melbourne into Snow 2.0 and it will lower the price for every state. So, so these, these transmission augmentations, they're not for Snow Hydro, they're for the entire NEM and they, they have two purposes. One is to bring down the price because they bring in the solar and wind supply. The other is for a liability mm. because the, 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 the notion that the Victoria supply deficit can be addressed by the reserve trader is in our view ridiculous mm. because you're talking about a closed system where no one's adding capacity. Mm. You've got to either build a plant or add transmission or both mm. for not a very great cost per customer and you've solved the problem. Well, I, I couldn't agree more and, and I'll keep saying that till I drop dead, but I mean, uh, which probably won't be long at the rate I'm going, but uh, if I look at it, of course, uh, AEMC has come up with its uh, a sort of what I would argue is a very complex transmission reform process has Snowy, uh, um, what do you think about the process as, as, as it is at the moment? Should we just get on with building out the ISP or do we need to wait for some other change in the way it's done? Um, so our input into that process has been the ISP is great. Mm. So linking South Australia to Sydney, linking Sydney to Melbourne via Kerrang, which is sort of in the middle of Victoria, uh, and building the Western Victorian link, that's a fantastic system. Mm. It doesn't even cost very much mm. on a per customer basis. Um, if the ISP is built, if it, was, if it was built next year, then we wouldn't be talking about all these blackouts and uh, reserve traders and demand response, which is just another fancy word for blackouts. We'd be, we'd be bringing new renewables in and we'd be allowing the coal-fired plant to uh, slowly um, retire as it will. So, so our view is just it needs to be done, but sooner than the current process uh, would have uh, it built. So would you have been a supporter of the ESB plan to have a, a, a fund that essentially pre-funded or got kicked the whole thing off and let the sort of regulatory process and the regulatory certainty that's required come along afterwards? Yeah, we, we try not to tell the regulators how to do their jobs um, because that's, that's their jobs. You leave it to me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anything that accelerates the build of the transmission is a good thing. So, um, so that idea of a, of a seed fund, if it speeds it up, great. Mm. Because the thing is, Victoria had trouble last summer and is going to have trouble this summer, never mind 2027, 20, 28. Mm. And of course, New South Wales has, uh, you know, is going to, and Victoria can both have reliability issues, I'd suggest, over the next two or three summers, uh, because I don't think we've built enough new capacity in the short term. That Snowy 2 won't be able to help with. Uh, it, I mean, Snowy 2 won't be built at the time Liddell closes, will it? Uh, no. So um, Liddell closes 2022-23, according to the latest information from AGL. Uh, so by that time, Snowy 2 won't be built. Uh, we're looking at additional open cycle gas plants in both Victoria and New South Wales for that reason, because we we believe that the system stress in the peak periods is going to be very high, well before Snowy 2.0 is built. Um, it's also the reason why we're going so hard on Snow 2.0. Mm. We're, we're not relaxed about the timing at all mm. because of the amount of disruption we see potentially happening in the NEM. And can I just ask, my experience with large construction projects has been that the, 
They don't all run over budget. They don't all run over time. But I would say uh, the risks of that happening are, are substantial based on, you know, if you looked at all the ones that I, I've looked at, many of them have gone too long or run into issues. How I won't hold you to this, but I guess you're feeling fairly confident. Um, there's two reasons why we're more confident than you, we would typically be. Uh, the first is this is not a project finance deal where this is our only asset and we haven't got any money to de-risk it up front. So the first thing is we've done um, through the um, preliminary works package, we've been able to drill 50, 50 boreholes along where the tunnel and the cavern for Snow 2.0 will be built. And they've confirmed your rock quality assumptions? If that's I right. That's right. So, so they have basically told us what sort of rock we're going to find in the cavern, uh, where, the, where the power station complex will be. Uh, there, are, there are known fault zones. We, we know what's in those fault zones. And we've got, a, we've got a very good idea of exactly what we're going to encounter all the way along. So that's the first thing that a, your typical project finance project doesn't have the luxury of. The second thing is the contingency that we had in December 2017 for the project for its entire span is untouched. Mm. So we've gone from December 17 through to feasibility through final investment decision. We're very close to NTP. We have not touched any, a single dollar of our contingency for the project. Um, and that, that just makes us happy that we've, we've de-risked it financially to that point. Mm. Well, I think... Uh I've pretty much covered all uh, the bits and pieces that I wanted to cover in in this interview. I, I guess you'd still you'd be confident, Gordon, that of the original return projections that's, that Snowy Two is going to earn. But they depend, don't they, very much on on the forecasts of future volatility and uh, and a growing share of wind and solar in in the NEM. In the, I mean. Yeah, over the, a long period of time. It's a difficult forecast in the future. <laughs> well, you, you think so, but we have spent a lot of time on it. We've, yeah, I, I we've get had that. two years. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the reason that, that we're so confident in it is the final investment decision on which we just decided to proceed uh, was an economic test. It was not a prediction. And, and every so we've got four main revenue streams. Every single one of those four revenue streams. Sorry, could you just? Uh, I'm aware of the caps and the and, and the energy arbitrage. What are the other two revenue yeah, streams? So there's so there's retail retail diversification mm. and there's and there's pure storage. Right. So there's but but they're all they're all based on the on two fundamental building blocks being the storage and the capacity. Mm. But we're selling into different parts of the market. So and the the key things why we're happy with the economics is that we've assumed that when Snow 2.0 pumps. That will be a, be at a price on average that's higher than what we've already contracted with our 888 megawatts of wind and solar. Mm. So we've effectively de-risked the buy of that already. On the sell side, we've assumed that the average price is uh, the uh, uh, short-run marginal cost, so the fuel cost of an open-cycle gas plant, and we've only assumed that we generate 17% of the time. So we're, we're only assuming that the price is over $125 or thereabouts, 17% of the time. Mm. So we feel that that's very conservative. How, how many terawatt hours do you remember that you expecting to generate? Uh, I mean, it'll obviously change from year to year, but... Uh, yeah, it, uh, it does vary quite a bit. It's, it's between uh, 3,500 and 5,000 gigawatt uh, hours that, yeah. we, that we pump, yeah. and it's between sort of 4,000 and 4,500 that, we'll, that we generate. Yes. Um, and there's, 
the important thing there is it's, it's complex because some of it is stored across years. So you, yep. don't, you don't just pump one day and generate the next. No, but I, I think that'll broadly equate to about four hours a day on average if you do those, those kind of averages. Uh, uh, and and uh, just uh, finishing, I think, I think that does uh, uh, pretty much... Do you expect to have to contract for more supply or is the 800 megawatts uh, an, enough? Yeah, um, Snowy already sells about seven terawatt hours per annum. Mm. We only generate four, and uh, with our with our inflows at the moment, that's that's even less than four, sort of four, four and a half. Uh, Long term average is, is what we're expecting, so we, we need to buy two and a half. Uh, we've bought two point eight terawatt hours through the eight hundred and eighty eight megawatt tender. Mm. Um, so we're pretty happy with that uh, for about five, six, seven years. But the demand for those products is very high because they're going to be cheap. Mm. Uh, the wind and solar firmed up by hydro and gas is at a price that's below what our customers are finding anywhere else. We've sold a whole bunch of them. For some reason, the seven-year contract is the favourite amongst our customers. Uh, there's no coal price resets. There's no gas resets. There's no force majeure. There's nothing. They're just a flat... So these are seven-year seven contracts starting in 2025 or thereabouts? Uh, no, they, they start... Some of them are already... Some are very close to starting because they use our existing South yes. Australian Taylor Bent facility. Yes. They then morph into the wind and solar we bought, which yes. comes online across 2020, 2021, and they, and they extend out to 2029-30. So, so I guess it's a blended blended portfolio that you're selling, which notionally includes already some part of the Snowy Two uh, output. Uh, at the back end, uh, yes, yes, I will. That's right. Thanks very much for talking to uh, Energy Insiders today, Gordon. It's uh, been very helpful and very insightful as always. Thank you, David. And that was Gordon Weimer, the Chief Commercial Officer for Snowy Hydro. Um, Interest, well, a whole bunch of interesting points he's made in that interview, David, and um, well done, good interview. Um, look, another things to take out, I guess I'll start with the, um, the um, look, a lot of controversy about Snowy 2.0 and the transmission links that will be needed to go with it. I mean, goodness knows where the cost will end up, but um, he makes an interesting point that Snowy had about 1,500 megawatts of extra capacity, which couldn't find its way into Victoria last summer, and um, I guess some, sometime soon Victoria's probably going to need such things. Oh, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of uh, transmission, uh, building more transmission and getting it done as fast as possible. We've had that discussion a lot. I, I hope that we'll be talking to Transgrid uh, in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, that, that's one topic up there. And um, I guess also the other thing at the moment, talking about transmission, is a slightly uh, unfortunate uh, incident from a couple of years ago in South Australia that for some reason seems to fit the headlines again today, Giles. Goodness me, it has indeed, yes. Well, this, of course, is the court case that's been taken by, um, the court action been instigated by the Australian Energy Regulator over f against four wind farm operators, AGL, Tilt, NeoN and Pacific Hydro, um, basically over the role of wind farms in that blackout. Um, a big surprise. Look, I've been talking to a lot of people in the industry over the last 24 hours and I've written a couple of pieces about it. Um, everyone is pretty much stunned about this. Um, one, because it doesn't really, as you know, the Murdoch Media and our Federal Energy Minister would like to pretend that is that it is about wind energy per se. It's really about a very strict interpretation of the national electricity rules. The AER seems to be arguing that um, when the wind farms switched off, one, a couple of them after four um, disruptions, another couple of out of six di disruptions, 
um, they should have really been kept, they should have kept going. And um, look, they're going to be defending, saying, "Well, no, that's not the case. That's not what the energy rules said at the time." And they seem to have, you know, support from AEMO, who, in requesting the rule change, which solved all these problems, and let's point out that these problems have been solved, and requesting that rule change, pointed out that the rules were not clear. So. Um, unfortunately, look, a, a fascinating test case. Um, unfortunately, it just gives a lot of oxygen to those who would like to talk down renewables. Uh, yes, look, I, I think one of the points to make about it is that uh, it's about ride, the ride-through response of the wind farms and uh, with what amount of ride-through, as I understand it, response they were supposed to have provided under the rules at that time. And, and look, no one should prejudge what's going to come out of a court case. And indeed, the court case is, the first court case is generally not the last court case. Um, you know, you get, if it's to the federal court, I can't remember the single judge, then you get the full, full, uh, full uh, court. Uh, and, and then possibly even another appeal to the high court if things get serious enough, uh, which they will do. I'd, I'd urge anyone to read, um, interested in the topic, to read your article today, Giles. I thought it had a lot of good facts in it. But uh, the point was that, uh, that, as I recall it, that in Europe and the United States, uh, there were rules in place that required a, a certain amount of ride-through capability. But uh, as I read the articles and analysis at the time of the blackout and afterwards, those rules weren't in place in Australia at that time. But look, let's wait for the court case. Absolutely. And look, it would be interesting to see, I mean, if the wind farms did lose this case, then they're up for fines of $10,000 a day. Now, that doesn't sound very much, apart from the fact that some of the, the AER is saying that um, they were breaching the rules for about four years. Um, so that could... Um, t total up to a nice tidy sum and uh, more significantly it um, could actually lead the way to um, class action damages which is a fear that Neoin um, raised in its prospectus last year which we reported on the time. Look David before we would just wind up because we had a long interview with Gordon Weimer I just want to comment on some of the results we've heard this week um, Energy Australia and AGL. Um, interesting same conditions, you know, um, squeezing retail margins, um, prospect of falling prices, prospect of rising coal costs, but two different outcomes. Energy Australia seems to have been blown away completely and sort of wrote down $1 billion from the value of its retail operations and had a two-thirds fall in profits, whereas AGL seemed to have held up reasonably well and while they're forecasting headwinds and problems with Loyang, still reckon they're going to make an OK profit next year. Well, their profit next year is down 20% and their share price did fall today. Look, just a couple of points that are uh, of interest. Firstly, the uh, um, Energy Australia results were for six months, whereas the AGL results were for 12 months. Uh, and so, you know, any problems in the, in the June half have to be uh, analysed out from the AGL results. But I, I don't think there was that much in it. Uh, the second thing is that uh, in the, the outage, which is going to affect AGL at Loyang in, in FY20, uh, really wasn't there in FY19, but uh, the Yalorn problems in the March quarter of this year were there for those six months for CLP. And the final point regarding the write-downs and possibly why AGL haven't reviewed uh, their thing is that AGL have acquired all their customers. They didn't buy any customers from the New South Wales government at the same time that CLP did. And so CLP would likely have had a lot more customers uh, sitting on uh, these default tariffs uh, that where, the, where, the, where the value has been lost. And, and possibly CLP also has a much bigger focus in Victoria 
whereas AGL has a Queensland business that, uh, to kind of offset it as well. So there are a bunch of different factors, but AGL has pointed to quite a lot of headwinds this year. And on the analyst conference call, the guys were pointing out that those headwinds aren't going to disappear on a particular day. They'll still be there in FY21 as well. As far as AGL goes, uh, one of Brett Redmond's tasks he set is to reposition the company, which I find is very interesting. And the final comment I'd make is that they don't seem as if they're going to be putting much effort into building new wind and solar plants. Their focus is going to be at the dispatchable uh, power side. And, you know, uh, so that's interesting in itself. I'm impressed, David, and instantly I'm reminded why for many, many years you have been um, the top-rating utilities analyst in, uh, in Australia, So um, and, and, and still a very good analyst, obviously. I can't do anything better than that, so I'm not. Um, David, um, we're going to thank our sponsors, Solaray Energy and Evergen, and um, I think we're going to adjourn and get back together next week when I think we've got another couple of terrific interviews lined up, so we'll roll them out as they come in and look forward to seeing more results and um, what have you. Following the industry, Giles, it's a great industry to be in, and an important one. Cheers now. Bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. With technology developed in Australia with the CSIRO, Evergen customers can maximise the return on their sustainable energy investment. Visit evergen.com.au and take control of your energy bills. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.